Hey everybody, welcome to Darisha's podcast, Elite Mastery. I created this um, series of podcasts because I felt that um, there's lots of information out there to inspire and motivate individuals like myself and people that I work with uh, throughout the year and all the speeches and talks that I do. So throughout the month and throughout the year, I'll be interviewing people who are experts in their fields and I consider them as masters. Enjoy the show. Our guest today is a great entrepreneur, a personal friend, a media mogul, and a highly sought after executive performance coach. With over 25 years experience helping companies in pharmaceutical, automotive, oil and gas, hospitality, and banking industries. He's a strategic decision maker. Darren has worked for a British military, leading teams of frontline military operations, which I'd love to know more about, calming chaotic situations and motivating them to achieve optimum performance and results. Darren is the CEO and founder of Unique Consulting, a Dubai-based firm based on helping business owners create result-driven company cultures and harness the leadership potential available within their workforce. Here's what I've been dreading on saying. No, but I'll try to avoid it. He's also the regional director of Alpha Group International, an organization that provides peer-to-peer executive boards with the sole aim of helping business managers and entrepreneurs in doubling the value of their companies within two to three years. Darren is a master negotiator, talent mentor, radio presenter, exceptional learning facilitator, to name a few, and has advised many government entities, multinational companies, and startups on matters of leadership, negotiation, and talent development. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming our guest today, Darren Carrington. Welcome, Darren. Thank you, Darren. Although I wrote this, mm-hmm. I did a ter- terrible job of reading it. <laughs> so, putting this aside, really welcome. Thank, thank you, you so, so much for joining us here. I know you're extremely busy. Great How's to be family? Here. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Um, yeah. A few blips at the moment, but um, essentially we're good. But thank you're you. a fighter, right? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the whole positive outlook on things. That's how we. We live our lives now, and um, this is just a blip. I don't know how it came about, but my wife is going through some some challenging times at the moment with some surgery happening next week. But yes. it's, it's all good. It's all I very positive. I wasn't actually sure. I wanted to bring it up, and I was going to ask you how your wife is, but I wasn't sure if you wanted to go public with this. But I'm so proud of you. I think one of the reasons I like you very, very much, and we connected when we first met, is your positive outlook. Mm. I think I've always been positive. I didn't realise how positive I was from a very young age, but I've always been looking at the the glass half full perspective a very sort of growth always mindset. at a young age I know you didn't may have recognized that you're a positive guy were you always positive because that's one of the questions I always ask is it in your DNA I don't think it's in my DNA um, my, my, my parents were, were, were both lovely people I lost them many many years ago but they were both lovely people and they sort of instilled core values and who I am today I think grew out of those values and ethics and, and I, was, I was very ill as a child. I was taken away from my mum the day I was born. I had gastroenteritis. Um, so I, I nearly... What does that mean? What is it? Um, it's, it's, it's basically a, a stomach disorder. So I was born with that and I was vomiting and I was Sick. losing stuff from both, both ends, you know, from, from the day old. Were you the first child? No, my sister was the first. So I was separated from my mum. And then all the way through my, my sort of childhood life, all I could really remember was going back and forth to hospitals. I developed a kidney problem, and that was really very inhibiting through my, my so school you, years. you've been a fighter since the day you yeah, were born. Yeah, and I, I think that's what sort of 
really prompted that whole positive outlook because I was always a smiley kid, whatever was going on, I was always happy and, and smiley. And I think that sort of reinforced who I am today, really. So do you think at home, your mum kept talking to you about positivity and being strong? Is that what you think it was? Because you said that they enforced positivity, your parents. Yeah. I, were they self-employed? Were they employees? Did they read books? What did they know about being positive? My, my, my dad, ex-forces, um, went in, did his apprenticeship in, in the printing industry, and he was in the print industry all his life. I don't think he was ever aware of what positivity is in the way we know it today, in that whole sort of thinking and acting as if the reality is it's all positive. I don't think that was a... A, a conscious thing. I think it was just something that was quite natural. But they were similar in personality. Yeah, very much so. Very How much did they so. meet? Um, through through work. They worked together. They in worked the together. printing business. In the printing industry. Yeah. Amazing. Um, my mum. Um, my mum was from Ireland. She came over when she was very very young. Uh, I think around about fourteen. And she was doing all sorts of odd jobs. And she she was working in the same. From Ireland to UK. From Ireland to UK. Where, whereabouts in UK? Dublin. Okay. Uh, she okay. came from Dublin. From Dublin to um, the Cricklewood area, so it's northwest London. Okay. Yeah. Okay. South. South yeah. of it. Down south. south. Of it. Yeah, down south. Amazing. And is mm. that where you were born? I was born in northwest London. I was born in Kingsbury, northwest right. London. Right. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. So, how long were you in the UK? All my life, up until 15 years ago, really. So, I, I, I worked with an organisation uh, called BFBS, British Forces Broadcasting Service. And we provided. Did you go into that because of your father? Because he was in the forces? No, I went into it because I saw such a unique opportunity to get involved and in doing radio, which was in my veins, doing radio for a, an audience that would really appreciate what you did and where you did it and how you did it. So it was something that, it wasn't a conscious decision. I just saw an opportunity and I, I pursued that opportunity. So it was a radio channel just for the forces? Yeah. Mm. All over the world? All like over the world. Every base there is. And if you think about the movie Good Morning Vietnam, yes, Robin Williams, that was you. Uh, the UK version. Yeah, but we were we were really sort of like kicking it. We were we were high tech. We had the first digital studios in the UK, long before any commercial radio stations had them, and we provided radio and TV services to the British forces all over the world. And what was their audience? How many numbers? <laughs> the, the British military um, across the whole UK. You I mean, don't think British military militaries. is more than. Million, really? I yeah. would have thought maybe a couple hundred thousand. No, 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 no. no. The families, the yeah, wives, exactly. the kids. So, for instance, we, we, we had a UK headquarters in Buckinghamshire, which was on a beautiful country estate. Uh, it's amazing. You go to work and you pull into this beautiful, glorious country estate and you pull up outside of the main building, you go around the corner, you've got this massive satellite farm that will be pumping programs around the globe. And, and from the outside, you could never tell. No, no. It's amazing. And we were producing radio programs live and pre-recorded output for the military and their families all over the world, from what east I, to west. Yeah, what I find amazing is that um, in the UK, there's the NHS, mm -hmm. National Health Service, but all the best equipment is bought by them first, and then the private clinics and private hospitals buy from them. Yeah. We don't actually appreciate how much the government spends on brand new equipment, mm. high-tech equipment. So you had the first digital radio broadcasting yeah yeah literally, literally i'd go into the studio and we, we have a term called hot seating so what you would do you if you were changing your show you swap over during the news and it would only have like two or three minutes to for you to see the other person out for you to get in and get set up and when we introduced the whole digitized desks you'd literally go in with like a credit card you put it into the slot 
Um, that will come up with your voice settings on your microphone, you come up with the configuration for your mixing desk, and it's just personalised to what your preferences were. It's amazing. How, how old were you then? When I first got involved in radio, I started off at hospital radio. Okay. And I was, uh, I think, 1920, I first got involved in hospital radio. And, 1920? Uh, 19 or 20. <laughs> not, 19, not, not in 1920. I started young, but not that young. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah. and then you worked there full-time in the hospital radio, or was it part-time? That, that, that was just voluntary. That was just going down once. I had a designated day that I would go down. It was on a Wednesday evening, and I'd go visit patients, collect their requests, and thinking about it, it's probably quite, quite a cruel thing to do because when people are in there, they're there for a specific reason. And we had the mindset of we come to entertain you, keep yes. your, your mind occupied off of what you're there for. A lot of people were in there for some very serious reasons and they weren't really bothered about what was going on or off on the radio. So it, it was a service that I think was well received by many, but a lot it was could have t- taken it all left it. Sure. But you know what, if you cheered one person up, it was worth it. Exactly. So, and then how did you apply for a job in the army, the radio I, there was a magazine that we used to have in the UK. I was doing a lot of stuff on commercial radio in the UK. So you were well known? Um, I, I was very active. I was working for KISS, Capital and Radio 1 in, sure. in London. I was doing a lot of stuff on the regional stations as well. So for the, the GWR network that had you know, uh, a good following and I was doing a lot of stuff for them. And I saw this magazine advert and the, the, the radio magazine was just like a little fanzine magazine that would come out weekly. And I subscribed to it. And it was in industry news, gossip, long before anything that we see now on, on digital platforms. Yeah. So I used to get it as well for looking at the job opportunities and you know seeing who's doing what and, and keeping your finger on the pulse really. And, and I just saw this advert and it was looking for a, a quite bizarre way of going in to work with the military, but it was just literally a short term contract for three months to go in as what they called a technical operator. So you would be operating studio controls for some of the presenters whilst they were closing down the London studios and moving them to the Buckinghamshire studios. And uh, I went in there. Loved so not even as a presenter? Not even as a presenter. But within four weeks of going in and doing this, what we call tech hopping in the, in the trade, and I, I put a proposal together because at that time I was working for KISS. I was producing the dance chart on, on KISS FM in London. Yes. And I, I proposed to do a dance programme and they said, well, we got dance covered. A couple of our guys in Cyprus are actually doing a weekly dance program. But one thing that we don't have is a, a drum and bass show. Okay, I can do drum and bass. Because working with Kiss, I was producing Fabio and Groove Rider at yes. uh, uh, Kiss. So, yeah, I could do drum and bass. Amazing. So, DC's drum and bass was born. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So, within four and weeks of working there, I, I managed to like I a guess, show. I guess now, if you get into the army or the radio, they'll do a thousand different checks, background checks, and everything else. Did they do any of those those days? Absolutely, yeah. They still did, yeah. yeah. Not, not necessarily to, because we were a private company, but we were contracted by okay. the MOD, Ministry yes. of Defence, to provide this service. And it was a long standing. I mean, you, now I think you're talking about 70 years that we've had this. I still say we, we had this service that we were providing and um, it was, it was, you know, everywhere they would go, we would go and follow them. But a lot of it was voluntary because a lot of it was going to areas that were deemed to be hostile environments. So you'd put yourself forward to volunteer to go to those, which I did. So you travelled? I I travelled a lot, yeah. And only if you were travelling to... Why why would you want to travel when you've got this beautiful studio? 
do they do do the actual audience want you to be present locally? Do they help? Because I believe it helps the uh, morale of the the people. It's a morale it? boost. Yeah. yeah. So, if, for instance, when I did the, I travelled all over the BFBS network, and you know, some of it is beautiful. Like I was posted to Cyprus. You know what we call a, a nice sunshine posting. That's not really deemed to be hard work by any standard. But going to somewhere like Iraq or Bosnia or Kosovo, where things were still quite active at that time, it's it's stuff that. You, when you go out there, you know that these guys, they're away from their families for six months. Yes. They might have two weeks, what they call R&R, in, in between, but they, yeah. they don't always get that. So six months is a long old stretch. So if you go out there and you, you visit and you sort of include them into what you're doing, they open up and they give you a lot more. So you so get a lot the of live shows and things. Absolutely. Yeah. So all the troops will gather. Would entertainers come? Because I know, like in the World War II, Bob Hope and stuff like yeah. this. Came. So you'll have entertainers coming supporting the troops. Well, and you. BFBS was part of a, 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 an organization called SSVC. So the Services Sound and Vision Corporation. Right. So SSVC was the, the mothership, like a big umbrella. Then underneath that, we had BFBS Radio, we had BFBS TV, we had the cinemas. So we'd have films being sent out to local cinemas all over the world. And we'd have um, CSC, Combined Services Entertainment. So, so they would provide all of the live shows. So they would send out Amazing. a full sound and lighting crew, a full four, a five-piece band, three or four comedians, and a dance troupe as well. It's a proper business. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So when, when you think about Good Morning Vietnam, it's nothing like that. You know, the, the concept is exactly the same. But... The reality is, is very, very different. Skin. Yeah. yeah. So how long did you do that for? That would have been in the early 90s, right? I joined BFBS in 97. Wow. Yeah, amazing. joined BFBS in 97. And how long did you do this for? Uh, I was with BFBS for just around about 12 years. So when you said you actually were in the army... I wasn't in the army. Uh -huh. I wasn't in uh -huh. the army. I was so a civilian. Were, I see, I see. Yeah, I well, you witnessed <clears throat> things. We got to go where they would go, and they always used to say, well, if they're here, it can't be that bad, because <laughs> we were civilians, but we had to go through specific training that would equip us to be prepared for going into hostile environments. So Did you come across situations where you think, this is not for me, this is not for my eyes, this is not what I got paid to do? Um, did I ever feel threatened? I, I came... In I, war I, zones and... Say your safety, your colleague's safety. Not so much safety in terms of direct threats or on a one-to-one. -one. I, I was in Iraq on, the, on a Skype call to my wife who was in Cyprus at that time. And I, I was in my, my what they call Corimex, so it's just like a converted cargo container. Yes. And I heard this really weird noise that was going overhead. And it's, it's a noise that I hadn't been familiar with. And it's really bizarre because when I first went there, I was having a brief from the outgoing station manager who said, right, he was going out the next day. Literally, I'm in one day, he's out the next day. So it was a really quick brief and he was a very, um, a very short attention span type of person. So, you know, what, Be what quick, it, get it done with next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lovely guy, but if you want the detail, forget it. You're not going to get it from him. So literally we were talking and there was a, a, an explosion and I'm ready to hit the, the floor and he just looked at his watch and I said, You've been here too long. He said, no, I haven't. He said, um, it's okay. I said, what do you, what do you mean it's okay? It, they would do controlled destinations at certain times of the day. So it's, if it was happening at quarter past or quarter to the hour, you, you wouldn't have to run for cover because still be vigilant, but essentially, you know it's a controlled destination. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, so I got into that, that whole way of doing things very quickly and uh, whenever I heard anything, I would no longer be jumping for the, my and you helmet flew, and body armor. And you flew armor. normal airlines or you flew with the army or had, with the troops? Flew, flew with the Royal Air Force. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so going into Basra, my first experience of going into Basra International is really bizarre because about 20 minutes outside of Basra, you're, you're flying in by night. Yes. So they ask you to put on your, your body armor and your helmet and they... They don't just dim so the from lights. from the outside, you look like a troop. Yeah. You look like part of one of the troops. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. you carry guns? No. 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 <laughs> a couple of ad presenters over the years asked if they could be issued, and they said no. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so about 20 minutes out, they just, not just dim the lights, they, they cut all of the lights on in, the, inside the cabin. And we literally just almost like spiraled down into uh, descent and touched, touched the ground, and, and that was it. So a quite a scary entry into Iraq. And, uh, Did they always tell you where you were going to go? Or you just end up in countries not knowing where you no, were? No, I, I always knew where I was going to go. Yeah, I didn't always know when I was coming back, but I always knew where I was going. That's amazing. Mm. You need a strong relationship, don't you? You need a strong yes, yeah, partner yeah. to put up with all that. Yeah. So what made you leave? <clears throat> a great question. And I, I still question today, if I hadn't have made that decision, which is really, really tough, if I hadn't have made that decision, would I be the person I am today? And I know the answer to that would be no. What BFBS prepared me for in so many different ways was amazing. And because it was such an amazing company, there were people that had been there for 25 or more years. So it got to the point that there was a glass ceiling. Yes. And I, it, it was in 2000, 2007, I, I came back from our station in Decatur. So we had three stations across the island. I was based in Aquateria and I was the program director. Aquateria is just below Limassol in Cyprus. And we had another station over in the east uh, called Decalia on another base. We had another st studio in Episcopi. So Aquateria was the main station and I went up to our Decalia station visiting our, our team up there and seeing some of the audience. And I got back and my boss said to me, you've been posted to the Falkland Islands next year as station manager. Wow. And I've been to the Falkland Islands and it's an amazing place to visit. Not to live. Not to live. Especially when they couldn't guarantee whether it was going to be two or three years. The winters are dreadful, no? Yeah. And there are no trees down there, by the way. Why is that? Because they cut they them down? Because, no, they don't trees even can't grow. can't survive. They don't even grow because the, the wind is so harsh yeah. that as soon as they start to grow, they're blown right over. So it's, it's an amazing place, but not for two or three years. So How you, many troops do the UK have now? In? Falklands. And in Falklands, I think there was between East and West Falkland, I think there was a total audience, a population of about four and a half thousand. And now that's military and you know, civilians. Sure. Um, across and, two and, islands. And I, I get Gibraltar. Well, mm. Why are the British in Falklands now? What, what, what purpose does it serve in the middle of nowhere in South America? I don't have an op opinion about mm. it. I'm just interested. Well, why? it's still British, and the Argentinians are still claiming it well they, I would say claiming it but they're still testing the water they still do flybys and they, they still cross over that no-fly zone and you it's know a challenge yeah yeah and you have the quick response teams down there who which when I was down there in 2003 they were the tornadoes now I think they'll probably be typhoons so, so what are they doing there really I mean all that cost all that mm. in the middle of nowhere in South America what what but it's, it's still, a base for but it's still British, so, so they're, they're having that presence there because eight thousand miles away from the you know the UK, if you had to get there, as we saw in nineteen eighty two, 
you 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 sort of lose out because they would have the advantage. So, so the question I'm asking is, I, I get it. It's, mm. it's like it's mine. I'm not letting go. Mm. But then so was half the world, right? Mm. But they decided to let it go. Dubai, where we live now, was part of the British Empire, mm. right? So, but they decided it wasn't worth their while keeping it. Mm. Although we had oil and it was the Persian uh, BP all came from uh, Iran and mm. Iraq. So mm. my question is, why go through all the trouble and cost to keep these islands in the South America? There must be a reason. Have you ever thought about it? Is I, it I've thought logistics? About it. Is it oil? Is it, uh, there are resources around uh, certainly, I, I know fishing, and I, I think oil is, is also something that uh, resources are quite rich around there. Right. So yes, I so there is industry there. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Gibraltar, I get it because mm. the location of where it is on the strait, <coughs> they see the traffic coming and going, and mm. but I just didn't never go to Falkland Islands. No. So how many visits did you make to Falklands? To the Falklands, just the one. Yeah, wow. just the one. I was down there, literally bridging the gap between one outgoing station manager and one incoming. Summertime, winter time. Winter time. I was down there literally in June and they have, they celebrate Christmas down there because Christmas in you know, 25th of December on the Christian calendar is you know, normally in Northern Hemisphere, that's winter time. But they, they celebrate yeah, what they summertime. call Fixmas, Falkland Islands Christmas on the 25th of June. It's funny, <laughs> but it's freezing cold. Absolutely yeah. freezing, yes. Windy. Mm. Man. Yeah. Man. They say the, the weather conditions down there can vary. You get four seasons in a single day. And the, the military... Have, have built they, it's almost it's like Battlestar Galactica is what they call it the Death Star it's just a series of corridors linking one part of the military unit to another and you don't have to go outside because everything's linked from these, these corridors wow it's protected against mm. attacks the weather everything yeah it's, it's mainly for the weather. the weather it's mainly for the weather do so they have like shopping malls and things or no just corner shops no. and stuff like that not even and it's that. all relying on the, on, the, on the supplies from the UK yes I guess so you go into Port Stanley which is twinned with Whitby in the UK as well. So you go to Port Stanley and you know when everything is arrived because the shelves are full and everyone's in there getting, you know, two or three days even, you know, things are starting to get, look a lot, a lot thinner. By the end of the first couple of weeks, you know, things are really running out and it's that sort of... They fly control. them in or does it come on boats? Both. Amazing. They're really yeah. amazing. Mm, you wonder is. why people want to live there. But mm. I guess to, to the people that grew up there, that were born there, who know nothing mm. different, um, you know, and they speak well, English. Not. And they speak English. Yeah. Yes, a friend of mine married a Falkland Islander, and she's very well educated. She left the Falkland Islands with her son. They they spent a tour in Cyprus, and she was doing some other stuff in the UK. And they got divorced because he is very much a he calls himself a Romany. He, he's constantly travelling. She couldn't put up with that. She wanted to settle. She wanted to go back, and she went back to the Falkland Islands. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And she's a journalist there. She ran. The, the island's newspaper called the Penguin yeah. News. <laughs> so she had a bit of a monopoly there, didn't she? Yeah, yeah absolutely. She ate the competition, right? Yeah. No matter how crap you are, you still <laughs> dominate the market. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Salary of about two pounds a month or something. <laughs> all, the, all the ticket sales. Amazing, yeah. amazing. So, sorry, you were saying, you were, you were asked to go to the Falklands. <clears throat> you didn't know the length of time, so you decided to second thoughts about staying. I spoke to my wife and I said, how do you fancy going to the Falkland Islands? Just to gauge her reaction, because it's not just about me. Talking about daft questions, right? <laughs> and <laughs> as a dependent, her opportunity to work is very limited. Whether you're in Germany, whether you're in Cyprus, whether you're in Gibraltar, it's limited. But when you go to the Falkland Islands, where you know the opportunities are even more narrow, then what are you going to do for two or three years? You know, think about what you would like to achieve. 
and it didn't ring any bells of inspiration and excitement. So we started working towards going. I'm just, I'm just imagining the day you answered that question. Just by <laughs> looking at you going, are you serious? Mm. <laughs> do I want to be in Cyprus or do I want to go to the Falklands? But we had no choice of staying yeah, in Cyprus yeah. with, with BFBS because you, you get this natural, we were only due to be there for three years and they were going to move us in that fourth year. So. So you knew you were going to move, but Absolutely. where are you yeah, doing now? Yeah, indeed. So how much notice did you have to give? And how did they take it? Did they, were they upset? Did they say stay? How much notice did I give? Well, without being shocked. Um, they notified me in February of 2007 that I would be starting this new role in the Falkland Islands on the 1st of January 2008. Okay. And in my mind, because my, my wife wasn't with me at that time, she was back in the UK visiting her sister. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But I, I, again, thinking of that positive mindset, well, you know, what are the opportunities there? What are the possibilities that could come of it? But then I weighed up the pros and cons. It was the same, well, it was, in fact, our entitled audience of military personnel and their, and their dependents were I think around about six and a half, seven thousand in Cyprus, but we were broadcasting to the entire island. So our audience was probably thirty thousand. So all expats could listen to you. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the Falkland Islands, yes. that's really, really shrunk mm -hmm. in terms of numbers. You don't have the same family output that you would have because they're all single guys going down there for their, their There'd be no holiday makers. No, no, nothing. No tourism. No. And I was thinking I'm doing voice. the same role essentially to a, a smaller number of people with a smaller team. I'd gone from a really big team, leading a big team in Cyprus, to going to have just like two or three, going from 12 down to three. And it just didn't inspire me, didn't inspire me. And I think if we, if we grow, we should be moving forward, not either standing still or moving backwards. And I really felt that would be a backward step. But after you know, more than 10 years, it's quite daunting to even consider such a thing Absolutely. because BFBS was a, a safe haven, you know, it was a, it was a family-oriented unit. And if you'd stayed, you probably would still would have been there. Yeah, and, and some of my, my former colleagues still are still there, and mm -hmm. they're still doing great things. But it might be for some, it wasn't for me at that time. So you would have been late 30s, 40, right? When, when I left there, I was... I was 2007, so you would have been 40. I was 41, yeah. 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 So For a fresh start. Yeah, and we had two dogs at the time, so getting those down to the Falklands, they can't be flown down there. There are no specific pet carrying organizations and they have to go by boat. And you have to speak to the, the shipping company who would then put you in contact with the, the captain of the ship, who would then speak to his crew and say, look, they, they, this couple have got a dog or two and do you want to have some extra money to look after them? And, and you have to trust that they'd look after and feed them on time. It's not like the dog's going to come and tell you, Dad, the last two weeks was a nightmare. No, but I also heard, I did some heavy research and I found out that there were dogs that had jumped overboard and of course they're not going to go back because exactly. they, can't, they can't slow the, the whole carriage down. Um, it, there were just too many things that... Every box was unticked. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you took, they asked you in January. February. Uh, February. Yeah. And then when you tell them that it's not going to happen... Um, I, was, I was going through the whole, in preparation for it, I was going through the whole process and in 2007 I, was, I, I undertook a, uh, a sporting event as, as one of a team of seven. It was called the Marathon de Sable, which is a, 
an ultra distance series of marathons across the Sahara Desert. So I was the, the, the token civilian with these other six. We you participated? Yeah. So you always been an athlete? No. I, I used to Although do you had health issues, you, you, you became an athlete. I, I used to do a lot of cycling when I was, uh, in, when I was at school. So in my sort of, um, f- from about 10 upwards really, I used to do a lot of cycling. And this opportunity presented itself and I seized that opportunity. And um, it was great. We called ourselves the Sahara Seven and of six Royal Air Force policemen and moi. And, but I was doing that in 2007. So I wanted to go through the motions of preparing to go to the Falklands if I couldn't get anything sorted out because I'd worked so hard in training, preparing for this, what we call the MDS. So I, I had to get that. And, and then when I got back from that, then I was focusing on what my next move in my career would be. So I didn't quit the FBS because uh, we were still, I booked all of the flights for you the- were committed for the dogs to go back to the UK to pick up the ship and all of that, all of that paperwork was all in order. So I wasn't negatively thinking about it. I was, I was working towards it, but something in my gut didn't feel quite right. And we got to the point where everything was in order. And by this time now, we, at the back end of the year, we're coming into December. And in Cyprus on the Monday, it's what we used to call the long working day. So we start at six and we go through till about two o'clock. And then the rest of the week, you start at sure. seven and you finish at one. Because you're preparing for the week ahead, is that Yeah, right? yeah. And I was in the office and I was at my desk and we had one show going out. It's what we called the tea time show, four till seven. And the presenter was in the studio. Nobody else was in the office at all. The lights were off. I was just my light at my desk. And I picked up the phone. I phoned home. And we lived on camp. I lived literally two minutes away. And I phoned my wife and I said, I'm going to ask you one question. And whatever your answer is, so. is fine by me. I said, okay, what's the question? I said, just, just speak from your heart. Just, do you want to go to the Falkland Islands? And there was nothing. I said, she okay. didn't want to upset you. She, I, I think she knew, but she didn't want to say, yeah. because she didn't want to Influence. Yeah. yeah. And I said, okay, that's all I need to know. She said, but I haven't said anything. I said, I oh, know. That's enough. Yeah. Silence it can speak you know, loudly, more than words can never speak sometimes and your silence is is screaming at me at the moment and that's all I need to know so with that I went in to work I said I'll be home in a minute so we had dinner we had a a, a good chat and we agreed that I would go in the next day and I had my notice in but also the next day it was on the I think the 11th or 12th of December the removal company was due to come in and start packing us up that day so I went into work and the first thing I did, I phoned them and I said, look, I'm really, A month really... before you were supposed to be there. Sorry? A month before, A month before, before to... yeah. Wow, and, and I said, look, I'm really, really sorry, but I'm not going to need your services because I, I, I'm not going to be packing up today. So from that phone call, I then went in, spoke to my boss and I said, I need to speak to you about the Falklands. He said, well, we, we can't change anything now. Yeah, last minute. Uh, and I said, look, I'm not, I'm not looking to change the decision about going to the Falklands. I know you need to fill that slot. However, it's not going to be with me. <laughs> But you have to. I said, I've thought about this long and hard. I've been thinking about this since February. Yes, I was in the Sahara. I had plenty of time to think about it. <laughs> this is one of the hardest, if not the hardest decision I've ever had to come to. And the fact that I'm only making it now shows that I'm not rushing into this. And it's the right thing for me to do. He said, well, so what are you going to do? I don't know. I'd been out to Dubai. I'd spoken to Golf News with a view to having the, the, the role of head of Radio 2. And there was no official offer at that time. And it was really taking that leap of faith. And I was weighing up, if I had have gone to the Falkland Islands, 
and I decided to leave. I would have had to repatriate us back to the UK, which would have been very costly. Yes. Um, did you get? Did you pay tax while you were in? Yes. Sight? You still yes. pay tax. Yes. If you gone to Falkland Islands, you still would have paid yes. tax because yes. it's a British. Yeah. So it was, it was a tough decision to make, and I, I think I'm a stronger person for it, having gone through that and having they to They didn't give you a hard time? Yeah, they did, yeah. They, they put did. me on gardening leave straight away, so I went really? in and I did my show. Unbelievable. After 10 years? Yeah, after wow. nearly 12 years. Wow. wow. I did my show and I finished, and then by that time, and it was, it was a, an example of what I use in my, my sort of business coaching today. Yeah. The, the controller of the radio station, he was reactive. He, he did not evaluate the situation and he didn't respond, he reacted and he took me by, by surprise. I, I knew he could be, his, his character, I knew he could be a little bit yeah, reactive. Yeah, still hurtful, right? Yeah, but, and my boss called me when I came off air and he said, um, you know, um, Charles is putting me on gardening leave. I said, okay, fine. So I had three months basically with full pay, still staying in the quarter. Um, and that was a good buffer, that was a really good buffer. You had time. I had time, yeah. yeah. So you talked about entrepreneurial you know, antics. My wife and I set up a, because we didn't know that whether Dubai was gonna come off or not. So we set up a, a mini sort of property management company in Cyprus within that three month period. And it started to gain momentum. And we were looking after- a You were trading? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Or short-term leasing, short-term rentals? Or? No, th th these were people that owned properties that were less okay. than about for holiday maintenance. Right. So we were, they were lived back in the UK. So you we, made sure you, they were clean, tidy, everything, keys handed over, you did a check to make sure, wow, amazing. Yeah, yeah. And then it came good that, obviously, I got the offer here. I came out here, my wife, Kat, she was, she was still running this business until she came out. She closed all of that down. She came out here, in the, I came out in the July, she came out in the November. That's amazing. Yeah. So you came here, and uh, culture shock. You, you was radio two. It was obviously trading before, right? Yes. It didn't start up, so you had to take over a existing culture. Yes. The uh, I think how many how many DJs did you have? Please. What was the setup like? What is it like now? Or numbers? Why has it grown? Is, is it still no, there? Numbers wise, it's shrunk now. It's, okay. it's, it's such a shame what's happened to Radio Two. Okay. Essentially, the, the the frequencies for both Radio One and Radio Two were owned by what was Emirates Media International. It's now Abu Dhabi Media, and Gulf News leased the frequencies for both Radio One and Radio Two. It's quite expensive, aren't they? They are, but they leased them over a twenty-five year period. And they started to grow the, both stations because when they were being operated by Emirates Media, they were doing nothing with them, and they were just allowed just to sort of like just almost like perish, which is a, a crying shame. So, in fair play to Vikram Dar and Golf News, they they combined. You know, he, Vikram Dar was my boss. He was a great salesman, a really really great salesman, and he sold the concept to Abed Al Tire about going in for this broadcasting concept, and Golf News broadcasting was was born. And they started to grow the stations, both Radio 1 and Radio 2. So when I came out, I, I can't take the credit for launching the stations because they were already up and running. However, when I came out, we looked at how we could tighten that up and increase revenues and tighten up the presentation. And it was called Classic Hits Radio 2. So it was all about that sort of melodic pr approach. And even if people don't understand the, the language, they can sing along because it's got the melody there. And it was all about the music. But then my, my first day I found quite confusing because we were doing the EPL, so we were doing sports, f football more specifically, the Premier League. And then we were doing a bit of this. Live, live. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. Wow, amazing. And I went to my boss and I said, 
how does that fit in with, with classic hits? And you know, when you say culture shock, in broadcasting terms, yes, because it's all about the revenue. So in broadcasting terms, it was all about the revenue for Radio 2, whereas with BFBS, it was not about the revenue. It was all about the content and the quality of the content and the audience that you were providing that content for. How do you measure if the audience liked what you were, the content that you were providing? If it wasn't measured against finance? There, there was, revenues? again, a great question. And that was something that I posed fairly later on in my career with BFBS because I, I need those sort of reassurances that what you're doing is, is being well received and it's deemed to be valuable. And when, when you ask, you know, is there any reason for you to go out and, and visit these guys? That's where you'll, you get your best reactions from because what, what you are hoping for in terms of audience responses, you get that. You know, in, and I guess the, the forces loads. aren't going to beat around the bush. They're going to tell it straight. Right? Oh, yeah. So. But that's what I used to love, you know, especially being in Cyprus or in, in, in Iraq or Bosnia. You, you come off the air, you go into the, either the NAFI or the FE, so the local uh, grocery stores on, on the, the military bases. And if they liked what you did, they would let you know. But if they didn't like what you did, they, they would let you know and they would rip you to bits. <laughs> so I, I, I love that whole banter of working with the military. And so was it a culture shock for me coming out here? Yes. Did I have to adapt quickly? Yes. So you come into Dubai, mm. new management, and it's all revenue based. As a head of the radio station, were you looking at revenues all of the time or were you looking at content? Or do you have a sales director who looks after? How, how did it work? We, um, essentially, as the head of Radio 2, I was there to make sure that if the sales department went out and sold a concept to a client, I would then make it work. I'd bring the mechanics together to make it work on air. And I was essentially responsible for the, the programming and the content that was going out. I, I saw early on, within my role of head of Radio 2, that I, I needed to go out and work with some of the sales teams, some of the marketing team, because what they would bring to me to get signed off was quality. Well, it wasn't so much the that. right type of clientele. It wasn't necessarily the client, but they were allowing the client to buy as opposed to them selling what they really needed, but based on what their understanding of. For instance, we, um, you know, Sea Wings, the, um, based in Jebel Ali, so they do the, the seaplanes, but they go all over Dubai. Yes. Uh, we had them come on board, and I, I went out and I sat down with the, the head of their marketing and I said, Why are you coming to Radio 2? What are you hoping to achieve by coming to Radio 2? Oh, we want to get more hits on our website. Okay, so I developed a set of mechanics where we were driving our listeners to go through the various pages on the website. Yes. So it's having that understanding because... But you felt they were selling it, but they weren't actually giving a solution to the client's needs. They were going out and providing almost like a... Order list, a check... They were just filling the order form. Yeah, yeah. They, they were not. They were not understanding. They were not asking the questions to understand the needs of the client. It That's wasn't a consultative sense. No, no, no. Okay. And do you find that they resisted you? Because as a consultant, I go in, mm. and the only person who really likes me is the owner, mm. right? Because he writes the checks. He mm. cares about the money. Yeah. And everybody else tries to sabotage what I'm doing. What what resistance did you face, or did you face any? Within radio, so I know you're a lot more public diplomatic than I am within the Radio 2 environment. 
Again, that, that was a challenge because obviously you're working with different cultures, you're working with different levels of power distance within those cultural values and the mechanisms of culture as well. So I, I did find it a challenge and some of the, even with the most gentle of approach, that still deemed to be offensive. So yes, it was a very challenging time, but we got there, we, we, we worked through that because communication is key as we all know, but the, the way I communicated it, that look, if I'm getting it wrong and I'm upsetting you, that's not my intention. That's not what drives me to get out of bed in the morning. If I'm getting it wrong, you have to tell me and help me to get it right. We're here because we're all looking to achieve the same end goal. Yes. And if, if I'm not understanding anything, you know, I don't have all of the answers. And I think that's the biggest thing I, I learned in terms of leadership. You don't always have all of the answers. And if you expect to have all of the answers, you're likely to come down like a, a ton of bricks sometimes. And uh, that's true. And how often do you have to answer to the stockholders, the, the shareholders, the stakeholders, sorry, the stakeholders? People come and say like, you know, like a football manager, for mm. instance, has to every single game meet the owner and explain why they chose the team, why they did this. Why, how often do you have to meet the every Sunday stakeholders? Every Sunday, really? Mr. Altai would come in and every Sunday there was a, a round table meeting. And do you feel they had a good understanding of the radio business? No. No, no. Never saw him in the station at all. He would come in, the, the meeting would be in Golf News. And so if the, the whole complex of Golf News down by Suffer Park, yes. the, the paper side was over there. We were in a, a, a tucked away corner, but everything involving him was over in Golf News, Amazing. in his boardroom. So it was just numbers, they looked at numbers, mm. it's good, go. Every Sunday the same thing. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Wow. How long did you do that for? Not very long in the grand scheme of things, because I, when I left BFBS, I didn't know if I was falling out of love with radio, or I was falling out of love with BFBS. So that whole, go through that decision and making that happen, gave me an opportunity to see if it was radio or if it was something else. And when I got here, I, I was enjoying it, but I, I felt there was something deeper within me that I needed to do. And whilst I, I, I wasn't on air when I came here, I did put myself on air. I was doing the, uh, like the, the greatest hit show in the mornings between 10 and 11, or 9 and 10, I can't remember now, it's such a long time ago. But that was keeping my, my, my finger on the pulse, especially with the audience as well, as well as keeping my skills polished. And it was digital then. By this time it's digital, everything's digital. Yes, right. yeah, yeah. And I, I took myself off air again because my role as head of Radio 2 was, yes, to lead by example, but the time that you would be out of you know, the, the office in your role as head of Radio 2 and being DC on the radio, then that, that to me, it was counterintuitive. Sure. And, and I, I took a responsible decision to remove myself. And it wasn't about my ego. I thought, you know, you've, you've done that now, it's time for you to do something else. So I, I focused purely on that. And I just realized that, you know, we, we were doing re really, really good things. And the revenue was going up and up and up. The listenership was going up and up and up. And even though there was no official benchmarking of, of audience figures here, we knew we, we put our doing own- Doing a good job. Yeah, yes. we were doing a good job based on the agency responses, et cetera. But, I felt there was something deeper within me that I needed to give back on a wider level and whilst creating great radio content and making sure that people are happy on the way to work, on the way home and the bits in the middle of the day, I needed to do something else to help people get one step closer to be a better version of themselves. Before we go there, I've got mm. two questions to ask mm. you about the radio business. 
Um, radio 2, were you competing with Radio 1 while you were there? Like, no. no. Two different products, two, two different yeah. things. There was no competition inside the company. There was a slight crossover. So um, if they were doing sort of 15 to 25, we were doing sort of 25 to 40. So it was an understanding. Yeah, okay. there, there was a, there was a, a cutoff point there. But um, my radio career didn't end there because when I left Radio 2, I, I, I set up on my own as a broadcast consultant. Oh wow! Mm. Helping and other radio stations. And so. That that was the initial that was the initial concept, but it sort of evolved. But you had a second question. Sorry. The second question is: Here, I've noticed in Dubai, there's one particular well-known DJ who dominates at the moment. Okay, uh, Virgin. Mm -hmm. Now, were you constantly thinking maybe we should pinch that particular DJ, bring him over, or get another character similar to the other person to compete with them? Was it? personality based on DJs or was it the the music or the audience do you see where I'm coming from because I'm thinking okay the DJ are dominating right now particularly one one guy mm -hmm. and if I want to have a competing I either take him or get another mm. personality who's better and more entertaining mm. than this other guy is I, I love that question <laughs> and when I'm speaking about radio because I, I sort of inject radio into everything I do because that's always in me if you slice me anywhere you'll see radio running through my veins so I always make comparisons to radio or create analogies out of radio and whenever I speak to anyone about you know if, if I'm doing a presentation skills session and, and I say why do you listen to the radio yes okay what station do you listen to and they'll tell me okay why do you listen to that radio station what is it specifically that attracts you to that radio station and they'll say exactly what you just said. Oh, it's the music. Oh, it's the, 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 the crew that they have on in the mornings. It's the combination of voices. And so when you're looking to staff a show, get talent in, it's a, it's a tough job. You know, I used to get, daily I would get inundated with people sending me what we would call Track, air checks. Voice tracks or something. Air, air checks, you know, snippets of, ideally they should have been live demonstrations of their show, but invariably they were just pre-recorded and produced so rehearsed. Yeah. yeah, so when you get them, if you were to get them in and have them doing an interview for you, so well, okay, just go into the studio and they just... Struggle. They, they would struggle. They would struggle. There would be a gap. What you've heard is nothing like you're, you're experiencing now when they should be doing this live. So it's, it's, you, you can sort of see through some of those... But you were looking for that talent all the time, yeah? You were looking for something exceptional. And what is it that makes somebody exceptional? Basically, it's how they engage with the listener. And I use that that singular it's term. To engage because I was I was interviewed a couple of times mm. on the radio, and there's no feedback. You just say it, and it's silence. Mm. So somebody's got to have intuition or something within mm. that knows the audience are entertained. Right? Yeah. So that comes from knowing the audience. It comes from knowing. So we're talking. Region. I can see the reaction on your face. Mm. Mm. On the radio, you don't nothing. No. I cracked a joke, and nobody laughed. I was like, maybe that wasn't a funny joke, right? <laughs> so I just said nothing. And it would have been, though, I know you. But you been. don't know, you know, I just said it and went, ha! And the person who was interviewing wasn't in the room, she was in another town. Right. So I was okay. talking to one of these microphones and mm. she was asking me, my, and I was talking, mm. and I cracked a joke and nobody laughed. Yeah. Like, oh my God. That is another example that I give when I'm doing these sort of sessions around presentation skills. Because if, you're, if you can use the power of your voice, and the warmth of your voice. So if you want to get really intimate with that listener and you really bring it up close to the mic and you're talking as though you're talking really, really softly to that person, they can hear that on their radio. And if you want to go louder, you go a bit further back from the microphone. You can play it. You can play it. And 
if you are connecting with the warmth and the tonality of your voice, and you, you see that I use my hands a lot. Yes. My wife would say to me, if we're driving around, she'd say, be careful of your hands. I said, what? She said, because they might think you're gesturing. I'm talking. Yeah. <laughs> I use my hands a lot because that helps emphasize certain words. And after 25 years of doing that as a daily show, then I guess that's gonna have a knock-on effect on you. But when you get into the point of you're standing on a platform and you have maybe a presentation or a PowerPoint or you have some visual props, presenting becomes a whole lot easier. Yes. And it does on the radio. If you've got a crew of people, it becomes a whole lot easier because... Morning. Why is it the mornings they're all looking for crews? And then during the day, later on, it becomes one person DJing. It's, it's not a coincidence. It's not all a coincidence. over the world, there's two or three people crewing. Yeah. It, was, it ha wasn't always like that, but it started in the, really in the 80s in, in the UK. It started to go to that, what they called the zoo format. So you'd have two people, then that would go to three, and you'd get you know, the, the, the weather person and the news person coming in as part of that, and it became a whole crew. So you might have up to five or six voices. And they found that's popular. Yeah, because it appeals to... mornings? Be because that's where your, your sort of niche markets are, the, the busiest times of the day. People are getting ready to go to work, so you've got a captive audience. They're getting ready to come home from work. They, you, you've got a captive audience. So having those different voices, those different senses of humour, those different perspectives, viewpoints, etc., it appeals to a wider audience. Yeah. But it's the same audience. And I used to work with Chris Moyles at Chilton Radio before he went off to Radio 1. Well, he left to go to Capital Radio before going to Radio 1. And I, I learned a lot from him in terms of, he was all about that zoo format and the creativity of having the, the right people, the right mix of people in, in, in the, yeah. the studio and yeah. how they would appeal to the, the, the audience. He had the a feel that. for it. He yeah. Mm. And that's, he did very well. Yeah, very well, yeah. Now, I lecture against um, radio advertising because I think if you can't measure it, don't advertise. If you're marketing, you've got to be able to measure return on investment. Mm -hmm. And for many years, you sold radio advertising, or you help people sell radio advertising. If, I, if you were competing with me, how would you actually, because the radio advertising, TV advertising revenues are going down mm -hmm. because of digital. Mm. How do you think radio salespeople can compete with people like me who's telling their clients, don't advertise on the radio because you can't measure it? I understand McDonald's, I understand Coke, they're mm. so big, mm. they need to put adverts on billboards, yes, they need to, it's part of the branding, they need to mm. spend some money on sponsorship, spend some money on radio, but if it's an SME, mm. which most of my clients are, I tell them not to advertise on yeah. the radio, or newspapers, because once the advert's done, it's, it's mm. thrown in the bin, they well, stop hearing it. What I'm going to say to you now, please, probably goes very much against who, I, who, who I've come across to be. But I would, I would agree with you, especially in this market, because I don't think the quality of the adverts of the radio commercials here are, are high enough. The scripting is not in, good Creative, enough. Yeah, there's, no, there's no creativity nothing. there. You know, I, I listen to... I cringe. I know. I'm listening. I'm like, oh, they missed this, they missed that. I, I listen to some ads. They, they capture my attention at you know, 28 seconds of a 30-second spot. It's too late then. Yes. You, you got my attention at the wrong end of that I'm ad. I'm driving to school, and my 10-year-old son's going that ad's not going to work mm. or what's the terms and conditions or what's the catch mm. a, a nine or ten year old can see it coming yeah yeah so poorly done so do you think there's an opportunity for a creative company to go out most definitely mm. but don't they isn't it part of the radio stations job to actually throw the creativity in the service or well they are mm -hmm. they and are they're messing it up well, whether it's coming from the 
the production department within the radio station itself, Most of them or it's have coming a through the agency. Department, yes. Yeah, but a lot of it comes through agencies as well. So you've got these creatives that are producing, and, I, and I've gone off to do some voiceovers, and I've looked at the script, thinking, really, yeah. really, and I think there's a unique opportunity to be had here, uh, in, certainly in the world of creativity and, and content. Creativity. How would you get your first customer? Let's say you and I started a creative agency. I, ha I have actually had a creative agency, but it's mm. nothing mm. Uh, in the production <coughs> side. How would we get our first customer? Because it's a, I guess it's a bit of a monopoly. Mm. It's very hard to get into. How would, how would we do it? And I'm serious. What if we decided to do that? I, I would do some research and find somebody who's really in need of some support. And, and I would say and who's willing to listen. And willing to listen. And, and say, look, if you were to do this right, what would you be looking to achieve? Forget about budgets at the moment in time. If you were to do this right, in the right way, and you had a good creative team that could write a message for you, that would communicate with your potential audience, what would you like to achieve? And I think that is something that is, is, is still not being ticked. In the same way that I was going out with some of the sales and marketing team to sit with the client and find out why are you considering running a radio campaign? Yeah. Whether it's a sponsorship, whether it's you know live reads, whether it's you know a competition, why are you considering radio? What is it you're looking to achieve? And I don't think people have been asked that question. I've done this with sales, mm. and they don't. Most sales don't get it. They don't get it that the repeat business is so goddamn mm. easy mm. when you look after the same customer and keep going back. You're yeah. always hunting for new ones. Mm. One of my concerns is that if we go to a production as a creative agency to a radio station. They think in margins. Mm. If I hire these people, I'm going to make less money, and my life is all about margins and money. Mm. Mm. So, what what do you what do you think? Do you think it's still doable? I think so, but if you position it correctly, because you might be paying in terms of your margins. You might have this team of people that you're paying at the moment, but if you could reduce that number, that you could create more quality content and creatives, then you're going to get more for that because the the again, the revenue is going to start showing itself for the client. They're going to come and spend more because they're going to see the, the benefit of coming and working with you. They're going to want to spend more, get more repeated action. So I think it will be maybe a slow burner because people are so used to what is going on at the moment. And if you speak to, I'd say, eight out of ten people about radio commercials in the UAE, they'd probably have the same opinion. Exactly. And what do you think of um, getting with the large agencies? Because the agency, again, they're creative, but they're not no. coming out with great stuff. No. Would they listen? Mm. No. The agencies won't listen. Because it's kind of shooting themselves in the foot, isn't it? They're saying that we're not very creative. Mm. They, you need to disrupt yes. in, in a big way yes. to show them that they have to listen. Is, um, would you would you go down that route of open up a creative agency for the radio business? Uh, in all honesty, no, no. no. Yeah. If you had a couple of million dollars, would you buy a radio station? Um, for my personal Let's satisfaction, say one of the radio stations that you know is not doing so well, mm -hmm. would you buy one? Would you take one of them? Is it worth the headache? No, probably not. Not for me now. No, not with what I'm doing. People ask me, do you still get involved in radio? I still do a few bits and pieces with people. Um, do I want to be committed to a daily show? No, I, I don't have the time. Let's say you for were that. advising me. Sorry. Let's say you were advising me. I can't afford TV, mm -hmm. right? But I could afford radio. Would you say, go for it? What to buy a radio station? Yeah. Depends on what. And use you as a consultant. Depends on what your objective of buying that radio or investing your money. money. Make money. Because I still 
do believe people mm. like Rupert Murdoch, mm -hmm. yes, they control the media, they control a lot of things. Mm. Not so much in the UAE, because you don't have as much freedom mm. to express good and bad as you would in other parts of the world, but they, they have a lot of power. They do, right? And a lot of business people, Jeff Bezos, the owner of uh, Salesforce, they bought Time magazine, Jefferson Washington Post. These, these guys are buying newspapers and mm. magazines and TV stations to influence mm. people, right? Yeah. If you look at the, the radio stations here that are making money, they are making money. You know, you look at ARN, but they've got a lot of, a lot of stations where so they, they're covering different markets. So as they well. are making money. Yeah. Right? Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. W w was radio to the end of my radio career? No, because I set up a, my own consultancy yes. and I, I started to work with Fijero Media Group and they wanted to launch an English language station and we, we launched. So you physically had to go and work in Fijero? Yes. Yeah. You like travelling, don't you? <laughs> you like driving a lot? Uh, not quite so much these days as I did. So the licence for a Fijero radio was through Fijero? They does, does each, uh -huh, they, each emirates gets their own license, their own... Yeah. The, the, Maybe I'm not getting the terminology well, right. Well, everything comes through the, the um, obviously, the main focus of Abu Dhabi. So you've got the, the TRA up there. So Transmission Regulation Authority or Regulatory Authority. But they give so many licenses to each emirate? They don't, they don't give, you have to apply for them. Oh, so really? Yeah, I think yeah. Fujairah had to pay and yeah, apply. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, so, but... Uh, Fajira Media Group owned this frequency and okay. they they used to have the uh, the Coast 102.4 or was yeah. it 104.2? No, 102. I can't it's remember. Gone. It's gone now, but they used to have that frequency and they used to lease it to Coast, but then they, they did a deal where they had that. Um, so we had this frequency, but we were in the wrong side of our transmitter site was on the wrong side of the mountain. So by the time our signal got to Dubai, it was fairly weak, yeah. but we we created. So there's a, a no blank satellite. Any, there's no satellite. No, no. It's on Earth, mm. over the mountains. Blah, yeah. blah. What amazing! Yeah. And Mekhi Abdullah, who was the CEO of Fujira Media Company, he said, you know, if you got, in theory, if you got a line of sight, you should be able to get a signal. So, the, but it, we, we had um, many challenges. But Rock Radio was a is a phenomenal station. In in the, the following that we had in the short space of time we were on air, was amazing. In Fujira, or local no to we used area. to we, we could get it all the way up to the Corniche in Abu Dhabi oh, if really? the atmospherics were right but it was we, you it's couldn't guarantee it too risky yeah but it people was were then turning up the power of their transmitters as well so you know if whatever yeah. whatever their licensing agreement was you know that they're broadcasting at a higher power but um we we, we did well hung on in there is it still trading no no oh, what a shame yeah it's a real shame yeah. real shame I remember yeah. I came here, I went to Abu Dhabi, I, I've been here nine and a half years, and I think about seven years ago I was invited to go to this uh, client of mine phoned up, I said I want some digital advertising, sales and marketing consultancy, come and see me in this building in Abu Dhabi. Mm. I drove by and it was this huge building, and they had eye scanners to enter, but there's no security. Mm. So uh, I phoned the guy, I said it's the right building, yeah, 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 just open the door, so I physically opened the doors went through, they had the most amazing equipment just sitting there, televisions, this, it, it was just so futuristic. And I went and said, are you sure it's the right thing? Yeah, yeah, take the lift, go to the second uh, floor, down the hallway, my office at the end. Mm. Second floor, the most amazing flat screens, everything else, not one person there. So I went through, opened his door, went in, and it was writing checks. 
so what's this? He goes, I'm paying uh, creditors. So why? He goes, we've been, I think, he, don't quote me on this, but he said, for three years, we've been building this TV station. We've invested, we got this, 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 this. A month before we open up, the owner changed his mind. <gasps> Just changed his mind. $300 million. Yes, so what are you doing? He said, I'm writing the checks, so we're on good terms. And the day after tomorrow, his friends and family will come and empty place out. They'll come and pick up the computers, take what they like, and leave. Never seen anything like it in my life. It's a TV station. Hmm. Wow. And that was my first experience in this market. Like That was nine and a half years ago. Nine and a half years ago. Nine, nine years ago. No, eight and a half years ago. I'm here nine and a half years ago. Hmm. So it was probably eight years ago. And I thought, Wow, is this how business is done here? Mm, mm. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because in my head, it's all about profitability. It's yes, about yeah. margins. Mm -hmm. It's not about the size of my business. So I own this. Or I do that. And it was quite scary. Mm. And the guy just paid everyone, phoned me up next month. Yeah, they all came, picked their stuff up. The building wow. is being used for something else. And he moved on. Hmm. $300 million. Like it never even started. There's nothing. Nothing. Hundreds of people and worked for this station for three years and nothing else. Yeah, yeah interesting. Such a shame. So, you went into self-employment. Mm. That was a wake-up call, right? You had to get your own license, you yep. had to get your own visa, you had to get everything. Yeah. No customers, no nothing. How long have you been in Dubai or, or UAE before you did that? Two years? Yeah. About yeah. two years. L literally just under two years. So, after Fajera, mm -hmm. did you have any other clients? I, when I started with Fujira, I was with them from, from the, well, from the time we started signing the contract of working on this station, which is in 2010, um, and so when it sort of ended and we called a day and parted company, I think that was probably 20, the end of 2013, early 2014. Okay. So three, three, four years. Yeah, and in that time, I was I was I was using that really as a as my sort of my, my platform to reach out to other people yes. and it, it started to take off very slowly. And did you open up the unique company? Well, that was it. Yeah. So, so I literally started, I think I got my trade license in April 2010. Amazing. Yeah. And that was Unique Group. So Unique Isn't it funny, my company is called Be Unique yes. and yours is Unique. Well, yours is yeah. Y-O-U. Yeah. And why, why Unique? Purely and simply because of my experience with Radio 2 when the sales team and marketing team were going out to clients, they were giving them an off-the-shelf solution. And that's not what I felt was the, was the right thing. So the whole part of the consultancy is sitting down, seeing what your needs are, listening to what your interests are, and then what options we can try to create around meeting those from the services. So it's not just giving you that bowl of fruit because I think you're hungry. Yes. It's what are you really hungry for? Yes. So maybe if you've got apples and bananas in there, Maybe you like pears or so grapefruit. Or I get it. So <clears throat> that's on the radio side. Tell me about one or two of your clients outside the radio business. That <clears throat> because for this region, what you're saying is quite common in Europe. <clears throat> Here, when I first came as a consultant, I said, "Let me come on the road with you," and I couldn't believe. I went with the CEOs of the company. They're pitching the client. Their mobile phone rings, and in the middle of their pitch, they pick up the call and. And the client had to wait till they finish its call. And they'll pick up a catalog and go, 
this is this, this is this, this is mm. which one do you want? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, if this is the CEOs, what mm. chance have I got with the salespeople? Mm-hmm. Right? So for you, what sounds normal for us is quite sophisticated selling for, mm-hmm. this, for this region. Mm-hmm. How did you get your first client to, to dig what you're saying, to understand it and see the value that you're bringing? Because it didn't come from a, a pitching conversation. It came from a, a, an introduction on a social setting. Okay. And just by asking some of those sort of coaching questions without... Where did you meet these people? Where did you network? Did you... How did you meet these prospects? It, it was through a friend of a friend. So this person introduced me to somebody and, you know, I think you guys have got a lot in common. And it was just literally having a conversation over coffee. And it wasn't any, uh, any sort of expectational conversation. It was just having a coffee, getting to know each other because, you know, person X introduced us. And it sort of went from there. So they, they liked some of the questions I was asking. And some of the questions I was asking were prompting them to, to think about their situation. Yeah and what they might be able to do in a slightly different way. So tell me about your first client outside the radio business. Well, the, what, what drove me to wanting that one-on-one, I was working with a company, whilst I was doing the, the stuff with Fajira, I joined a company called Abami as a, as a freelancer. Uh, Abami had been in the region for 30 plus years and they were very much into doing team building, team development work and it was very much a, you're the client and these, these big sort of corporate clients, you know, Etislac, Government, D- Dubai Police, all of those big companies yes. and they'd have fantastic half day, one day or two day events. So in the coaching and event business, right? They, Motivational and... Yeah, and they're doing experiential learning. So, so basically it's learned by doing. So you'll, you'll create a simulation, you'll, you'll do an activity or an exercise and the client is looking for specific learning objectives to come from, from those. So as part of the debrief, you would draw that out of them. So you know, if, if you're configuring this island sort of hopping activity, how do you get to the middle of the island? How do you then get off the island? Because you've got shark infested waters around the island. Did you create the games yourselves or there was a catalogue of games already in the library? No, they, they were they were literally um, created. Off, they took it off, off the, the shelf. Client. Oh, off the shelf. Off the okay. shelf. Okay. Yeah, and they would they would give it to the client, and they would they would really tailor the the debriefs around mm-hmm. the certain learning objectives, mm-hmm. and they were great. Was, was this a franchise, or was it uh, something that started in this? I know it started in this. Amazing. Started by a guy called Graham Nugent, wow. uh, and it grew and grew and grew over. I think he was in the region like thirty-seven years. Was yeah. Here he's moved now. He's, uh, I mean, he's, I think he's in his latter 70s now, but um, he's like your typical entrepreneur. He's still working even today, but I think he's based in Cyprus now, Eastern Mediterranean. But he was a very charismatic individual and people loved him, but as the company grew and he, he had to bring- personal touch. Well, they, they didn't lose the personal touch because he was still very much hands-on and he was still going out doing a lot of the deliveries. But I enjoyed my time working with them immensely but as a consultant, as a, as a as a freelance sort of uh, facilitator and consultant, but I asked the question one day. So, the great work that we did on that half day, one day, or two day event. How do you measure what people are taking back and applying back in the workplace to see that return on investment? And there was no answer because that wasn't being that wasn't they, they, they being they job and moved on. Yeah. Right. So my my first client was really working with a, a pharmaceutical company, Merck Serono. And I, my first sort of contract was working with five sales managers. Three were based in the UAE and two were based. One was in um, Yemen and the other one was split between Kuwait and Bahrain. And 
So I was seeing the three in Dubai, I was seeing them face to face and it was great. Now the others I met on the initial kickoff, but I was working with them remotely. Now, when I was working with a guy in Yemen, it was at the time where things were starting to escalate and sometimes we would have our calls, sometimes we wouldn't. And having the experience of working with the military, yes. working in hostile environments, you know, when you're going through rocket fire and mortar attacks, and I'd be on the Skype calls with him and I could hear stuff going off and, you know. And he was still doing business. Yeah, he was still doing business. And he was a lovely guy, really, really lovely guy. So a lot of our, our coaching was around his ability to deal with, you know, all of the concerns that he had for his, his family, his team, and all of this is going off and building around him. Um, yeah, so it, uh, wonderful times. And the guy that I had who was split between Kuwait and Bahrain, he, I'll never forget the call that he, after six months of working together, he called me, it was in the, the early part of January, just literally into the new year, first week into the new year, and he called me, he said, I just want to say thank you. And I said, why? He said, because when we first started working together, he was way under his target, way under his target. He was completely demotivated. His teams were going off and doing things quite, you know, in, in opposite directions. And what he managed to do is finish 116% above target. Wow. And he phoned me to thank me and he said, I wouldn't have been able to do it without you. And I said, well... You probably would have left the job. Probably I, I was just shining the light. You followed the light and you did. You took the action. But we had some really sort of what did harsh you do? conversations. One of the th I've noticed that um, I'm more aggressive, I think, when it comes to consultancy. I'll go in and say, right, this person can make it or can't make it. It's black and white for me. Mm -hmm. okay, if they can, I'll invest in training. If they can't, get out because they're, they're terrorizing your business, blah, blah. So there was five people in there. Mm -hmm. All of them had potential in being trained, yes? Mm -hmm. Have you ever gone in and said, right, this person's a terrorist in your organization, get rid? I, I, have, I, I don't just go in and sort of talk behind their back to say to the, the employer or their manager that this person's not right. I would talk to that person and I would, and I would talk to them about the, and again, we all know that we all have different opinions and points of view and perspectives on yeah. things. So I would ask them, I would give them that opportunity to see things from a different perspective and what they might be able to do. And if there's still no response and they, they really are there just to fill the time and tick the yes. box, then, then, then I will because, yes. you know, I, I have my, my loyalty to, 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 the, to the client, but I've got to give that person the fair chance. Yeah, I've got to give them yeah. the fair chance. See, I don't. Mm. <laughs> I go in, I just say, experience says mm. that this person will or will not make it. Mm. Yes. Mm. Are they motivated or not mm. motivated? Because I think you can teach a motivated person, but if somebody's mm. not motivated, you can never teach them because they're not willing to learn. But or, they, or somewhere along the way, they've lost the loyalty to that company. Somewhere along the way, they've lost their way. But that's why, sense? love, why did uh -huh. they lose that motivation? Mm -hmm. Or did they not have it there in the first place? And if they didn't have it there in the first place, why on earth did you employ them? You see, the, the, yeah, uh, I, I actually think that this, in this market there's room for you and me. Mm. I'm not saying you're right, I'm wrong, I'm right, whatever. Uh, it's just that I think the nature of the clients that I inherited, they mm. wanted things happening tomorrow. Mm. Mm. Okay, so if you got a client like a pharmaceutical company, they have time. They want to see <clears throat> improvement. Yes, I get a client. If you get, don't get the sales next month, I'll go bust. Mm. You with me? It's more urgent. It's make mm. it happen mm. tomorrow. They've screwed the business. They want to. Mm. I went to a shipping company. If I hadn't turned the business down in three months shipping, they would have gone bust with two and a half thousand staff. Mm. You can imagine. <clears throat> 
right? So I had to go and bull in a china shop and turn things around. Mm. But this is where my, my sort of passion for leadership comes in because yeah. I still believe with my hand on my heart that I no, nobody gets out of bed in the morning with the intention of going in and doing a bad job. Hmm. I, I truly believe that. If they aren't doing the right, if they're not doing right in terms of the expectations for that role, mm -hmm. there's a reason for that. Now, have they lost the motivation? If that's the case, what happens for them to lose the motivation? And a lot of it comes down to the lack of leadership skills in their managers or what supervisors. If, what if they've got used to getting away with it? What if they got used to getting paid for not doing much? So they're going to a habit of being lazy, taking shortcuts, and it's not serving the company well, and it's not serving them well. Mm. But, but they've always got paid. But the company is at fault to a degree for Absolutely. allowing them to get into at those habits. Hundred percent, hundred percent. The company's so at fault. I was delivering a training this week in Abu Dhabi, and it was with um, it was with an Adnoc subsidiary, and um, I had fifteen Emiratis in the room, and they were sort of high potential. So they've been recognised for this sort of leadership development. And you, you say that I've got a very soft approach, but I talk them through various um, behavioral preferences. I take them through a disc model. Are you familiar with yes, this? Yes, yeah. yeah. So I take them through a disc model. And um, I'm not a high D, and, and for your listeners and viewers, you know, disc is about understanding our behavioral preferences. So yes. can I just go through the model very quickly? Of course, yeah, I'm off red. I'm off the chart red. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, so that red is, so if you think mm -hmm. about disc and how we can evaluate other people and see ourselves. Yes. Now, is Dr. William Mouton Marston, he devised this concept and he understood that our behavior could be measured on two axes. So basically how we tend to be around people and how we tend to approach tasks and also the environment that we prefer to be in. Are we preferring a fast-paced environment, which means we're more extroverted, outgoing, or are we more inclined to have a, a slower pace, more introverted? And depending on where we are, so if we prefer a fast-paced environment and we're very task focused that would put us up in the top left quadrant which yes. we call it the D yes. for decisive or dominant yes. then if we're fast paced but we're very much about the people that would make us an I so we're very interactive or influential if we go down below the line so that below that horizontal line so we're going down to a slower pace now but we're still about the people that would make us an S so we've got the D I S yes. so we're more steady or stabilizing and then if we're still prefer preferring that slower pace but we're very task focused, will be what we call a C, D-I-S-C. Yeah, so which are you? For cautiousness or conscientiousness. What do you think I am, from what you know about DISC? I know you love people, mm. so <clears throat> I would say I, D-I-I. -I. Okay. Am I right? Uh, I'm an S actually, I'm an S-I. Oh really? Yeah, and when I start to go through and what those different dimensions... The fast pace is not for you, right? The fast pace, when I'm, when I'm doing my work, so on the radio, if I'm delivering a presentation or something, yeah, I'm very, very fast paced. But that's not because I'm stepping into a, a character role. I'm stepping into that because I'm stepping into my, my sort of energy space. Yes. But I'm, that's not where I am when I'm, when I'm relaxing. So that's not my natural. Interesting. I'm more of, of, a, I'm more of a, a, a passive person, which you picked up on earlier yes, on, yes, yes. Um, I'm more of a, a people person, so you can rely on me. If you say to me, Darren, I need you to help me with this, I'll drop everything that I'm doing and I'll help you with that. And that is a, a regular pattern of behavior that you're going to experience with me. Yeah, but it's that passiveness I didn't think you were. I thought you were like fast, 
But no. But, uh, but uh, I, I, I mean, it's, it's so close. I mean, I'm, I'm quite mm-hmm. high on the S, mm-hmm. but I'm mm-hmm. just a little Sometimes bit high on the I. in between, right? So. Mm-hmm. I'm just SI, there's, there's not much between. But when I talk about that, if I'm doing a training... You're extremely giving, I know that. Yeah. I know that, you put everybody else first. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I am very motivational, very, it's very much about inspiring, inspiring and motivating yeah. people. So that, that I, I, there's not much, but I'm, I'm just a little bit higher on the S, but there's not much between the two. Amazing. Yeah. So when you're looking for a salesperson, where should it be on the disc? <clears throat> A lot of salespeople are quite high Ds, yes. very high Ds. I think um, a good. I think you can have a good salesperson with a high S, but they're probably going to be giving a lot more value to the customer than they would yes. get make too, to the company. Too much empathy. Yeah, but again, depending on what their internal values are. So when we when we start to talk about leadership and why somebody has become demotivated, it's all very well having that understanding of the disc, but what's going on here to drive that behaviour? That's that's the key element. Because if you look at our internal drivers, what buttons get us out of bed in the morning? Mm-hmm. If you've got somebody that really stands for that sort of uh, high reward, they're very much econ- economically driven. Yes. And the role that they're doing does not provide that for them. They're not gonna be motivated. Sure. So if somebody's more of an individualistic, so they, they like to be recognized for who they are, what they can do. If that's not being presented to them in their role, they're not gonna be motivated. So a lot of people I found in the last few years that I've been working specifically in this area and focusing on these areas of leadership is people are doing a job where they're not fulfilled because their internal values are not being met. Yes. And that's why people are not performing. So I agree. So where is the best time to evaluate these people? Right at the beginning of the interview process, I guess, right? <clears throat> but most of the time you come in right in the middle. They've got them, they've hired them, you come in to fix it. Yeah which then is costly. Exactly. I'm, I'm working with a recruitment company at the moment who are using me to go through a certain assessment. So people who are shortlisted for particular roles and they want to make sure that these, right, out of these right five or candidates. six people, they, who do we pick? Sorry, who do we pick based on what we feel the role requires? Yes. And so you said, who do we go for on the disc for a sales role? So that would, you, you tell me, don't tell me what the role is, tell me what characteristics, what characteristics you're looking for from that individual. And then I will align the two. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, and I find that so re- rewarding because I don't actually have to meet the person because the, the assessment they'll take is, is so accurate. accurate yes. It's so, so accurate. It's, it's literally a suite of tools that combines so many different aspects. How much does it cost a company to use the disk services, let's say through yourself? There's a, don't tell me about the consultancy bit, right? Because that depends on the client. And yeah. so how, how, what does a client pay? To, <laughs> um, on an agency. I, 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 again, depending on their sort of sense of urgency, really. Mm-hmm. But on average, um, it would cost you, if you wanted to shortlist, say, six candidates, and you yes. wanted me to take them through a, a process. So I'd, I'd put them through the assessment. I would then go through and I create a summary of those assessments based on what you tell me the role to be, yes. the characteristics. That's probably going to be about, I think, fifteen to sixteen hundred dirhams. That's fantastic. Per person. That's fantastic. Yeah. Imagine you save on the visa cost, training cost, yeah. motivational cost, and also the environment mm. that the colleagues, because you don't want mm. to see people coming and going or not performing, right? So mm. it's not much money invested. The, you're absolutely right. The money that it might seem. An, an expense on the outset, That's but what you can save yeah. is yeah, it's an investment because what you might save in time and money, mm-hmm. 
A few years ago, whilst I was working at Vajira, there was a, a new Novotel opened up, uh, literally diagonally opposite where we were. And I got to know the GM. And they'd been obviously open for a period of time, three months before they actually opened the doors. They were getting training. Yeah, training, getting events up and running. And their sales manager was the, the, the GM, a very well respected and very experienced general manager within the hospitality industry. And he decided that this person was right based on the the CV and the interview that and was his conducted. experience, exactly. his gut feeling. Yes. Yeah. Now they did not perform from day one. Okay. They started to show the right signs, but they, they started to show a lack of performance almost immediately. So we were talking, and we met in a, again a very neutral setting. We met in an event that was. It was like over dinner or over coffee well, or a drink just, or something, just was a, a chat. I can't even think what the event was, but it was a networking event where I was introduced to him. Hi, how are you? What do you do? I'm the GM of this hotel. Okay, great. What do you do? And he just expanded from there. So I said to him, so congratulations, the hotel's been open now what, for two months. He said, well, we've been conducting business now for sort of five months, but I'm not happy with my sales manager. I said, why is that? He said, well, they're not performing. And I can't understand it because... You know, they've got a really good pedigree. I saw the CV and when I invited them in for the interview, they interviewed really well. But since they've been in the job, nothing. And I can't, whatever I've tried to do, I just cannot make it work. I said, okay. I said, so what are you gonna do? He said, well, I need to, I need to let them go or need to find somewhere where they'll be more suited within the business. So, so what are you gonna do to fill the, the shoes? Well, I've got to advertise, okay. So when you get down, and this was a, a almost like a, a tentative, you know, carrot, you know, dangle the carrot and they'll come. I said, you narrow it down to three or four shortlisted candidates. Don't tell me who they are. Tell, tell me, you know, what you're looking for, what you saw in the interview, but don't give me the names. Yes. And I will then marry up with who you're talking about from what I see. Who's the best candidate. Yeah. And I, and, and, and I said, you tell me what your gut instinct is on who you believe is the right person for you. And I would tell you based on what wow. you've told me you require from me. And this role. is at no cost. This is just over a chat or you... This, this was... As a favour. As a favour, yeah. So it's me looking to get in and, and sure. show him the power of doing yes. this with a view to getting work. More business. Uh, yeah. And um, we, we got to the point where I narrowed it down to who would be the best candidate. They was were, it the person that he had got feelings for? No, no. Wow, amazing. No. And so you could have made the same mistake. Could have made the same mistake. And I said, look, based on what you've told me, with my life, I, I say this person is the right person, right fit for that role. Wow. And did he hire him? He did hire. And they did what? Yes, they did. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And I said, yeah, that, that's my gift to you. And trust me on this, you will not be spending the same money that you spent on that last one. Yeah, because absolutely. this, from what you've told me, is the right fit for the role. It's not just the money that is wasted on salaries. It's lost revenue, lost opportunity. Yeah. And in the hotel business, it's constant. It keeps coming back. So yeah. it's, it's could be the lifetime of a client, not just that <clears> particular deal. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about most of your clients now. Are we going to, we talked about Unique, we're mm -hmm. going to talk about Alpha Group. How long do we have? You tell me. Oh. It's your meter. <laughs> Soon, we have to be quick. So I'm worried about Yaya. He's always poor things, staying late for me. So um, clients, Unique Group, how did you come to meet Alpha Group? Tell me about what okay. you, this, this is where we, you and I met. Yes, yeah. Well, a couple of years, about four years ago, I was approached by a company in the UK asking me if I would be interested in having a chat with them to represent them in this region. And, and they are aligned with what I do, but they're on a bigger scale. 
and they do leadership, they do development, they do coaching, and they, they have a lot of global clients, and they want people to be able to service those clients without having all of the incurred costs of traveling and, and putting up in accommodation around the world. So they also work very closely with a company based in the US, in Boston, Massachusetts. So to cut a long story short, I, I went and had a chat with them. They do a lot of training, delivery, a lot of coaching, and I signed to, to represent them. So I'm still independent, but I represent them. So yes. I, get, I get to travel the world as well as deliver stuff here for them. I get to travel the world delivering trainings to wonderful people all the way around the world. And, and do they give you their curriculum or you, you add your own bit to the curriculum? No, it's all theirs, it's all their IP. Oh, so yeah. basically, so their clients are big oil and gas industry yes. blue chip yes, clients. Yes. So these are global programs that are delivered. Is that the same company as Karina? Karina Cross? No, Never, no, no. no. Uh, I know Karina really yes, well, but it's, yes, it's, it's not, not no. the same company. Um, so that's great, but then I was still looking at how I could, could scale the number of people that I could actually have interaction with and, and, and help guess, grow. Are you depending on them giving you tasks, right? So you want something more consistent and more, yeah. am I right in saying that? Yeah. Because you want to be in charge of your own destiny. I do, and I also want to f find other ways of how I can like, help people to, yeah. to grow. So the alpha group. So money being a byproduct. Yes. Yeah. So you want to help people, but you know you'll get paid. The yeah. better job you do, the more yeah. money you get paid. Exactly. Right? And that's so how it's always, by the sound of it, that's how it's always happened to you. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because I don't hear you talking about money at all. No. And you don't touch with it extremely well. It's not, so. first and foremost, it's not about the money. And that comes down to that economic yes. driver as well. Do I have a high economic driver? No, but my altruistic driver is very high. And, and byproduct of that is money. Yes. Wow. So give give good to other people and that revenue will come. So and you don't spend time, I noticed you don't spend time worrying about it because you believe most people are yeah, good people. I do. Most yeah. people will pay you for yes. a good day's work. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So the Alpha Group. I congratulate you by the way. Thank you so much. In a very cynical world, it's very rare to see somebody like that. And I actually believe most people are good people. Mm. You're going to kiss a few frogs. Yes. But most yeah. people are good people. But, but again, even driving here today, there was a guy who just he was in a, a truck, um, a pickup truck, and he just pulled out in front of me. And, and he killed you. He, he could have done yeah. if I hadn't been quite so alert, but yes. was he doing that to me personally? No. He did, I don't think he had any intention to pull out in front of me and cause me yes. to swerve so, or, or, you know. So you decided not to go crazy? I, I tooted because I needed to make sure, him aware, so he had to get back in lane. But I don't. I, I truly believe that was not an intention on his part. He just did it, and that's how we operate. We do things from a habitual perspective. Well, this is something interesting happened to me yesterday. Mm. Okay, and I'm not proud of what I did. Not at all proud of it. I'm going to say this in, in public. I got up early in the morning here at seven thirty. Mm -hmm. Had my meetings. Had a bank manager meeting at nine nine o'clock okay. so I finished everything left the office got there at five past nine so I was already late my accountants with the bank manager saying he's waiting I parked the car at the, at the wrong branch and I walked and I'm sweating and I realized I'm at the wrong branch came to the car and three cars are parked like this and one car are parked in front mm. okay blocking me and three other guys so this guy comes out and says is this your car I said no is this yours and he says no I'm the guy next to you I can't get out either so the guy had left a card on, on the, uh, under the windscreen. So I called the number and he's not answering. By this time I'm soaking wet. My accountant's phone, I'm saying bank manager's waiting, right? So I'm getting wound up. Called this guy 20 times. After about 50 minutes, he answered. 
and I wasn't very polite. Mm. I said, move your car, mm, mm, mm. okay? So I waited, 17 minutes later, he's waltzing down. I physically attacked the guy. Mm. I really did. I went over, and, I, and I'm not proud of it, I lost it, absolutely lost it. And, you know, he kind of apologized, got in the car and drove very speedily away from the mm. scene. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> whilst I was chasing the car and kicking it. Mm. Uh, afterwards, I was shaking and I was like, actually, that was uncontrolled anger. I'm mm. not proud of it, right? But what an idiot. I know. 37 minutes mm. I waited mm. and I missed my appointment. The oh. bank was peeved off with me. I, bet, I yeah. set the appointment three weeks before. And the guy, don't mm. tell me this guy's not an idiot. Don't mm. tell me he had no bad intentions. To leave the car <clears> there, with the doors open, with a car that he doesn't answer his phone. But I, How do, would you? But I do believe that but, he did Hang on, the other guy next to me, cool as a cucumber. Yeah. Hey mate, you know, I missed my appointment. And I'm like... Rah. You're just going to get your anger issues sorted and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but I think I was brought up to make sure that he doesn't do that again. <laughs> you with me? Yeah. If it was two of us like the other guy, mm. They would have thought, oh, it's okay, just let him go. Yeah. And he'll probably do it again. But I promise you, mm. he will never park like that again. Well, he might think twice about it. Yes. But his actions that he took... If he does, I'm going to go <laughs> past and check it out. But the actions that he took to park his car, mm. he did not have the intention to upset you, not uh, miss your meeting. Sure, That's just a care. consequence of, of his action. So have I got sort of more mellow as I've got older? Yes, because I'm, I'm starting to see the world in a very different place that, yes. compared to 10 or even... That's probably why I've already had a heart attack. That's probably why. Maybe, I don't know. But do you, do you, is it like a decision you're making, you're mellow, but do you incite this turbulence and then you go, calm down, or it's just... you? Just yeah, I do, I do. And what, what, I, what I say about this whole sort of not reacting anymore but evaluate and I use the iceberg as a, as a, as a good example of this because up to 95% of it's what below we do the water. is below the water and that's our subconscious mind so 95% of what your we do your internal dialogue is what you, how you're talking to yourself it's, this, it's the stuff we do without thinking about it yeah. so when you react to that guy you're not doing that at a conscious level that's not Darius thinking I'm going to go and have a go at this no. guy you're doing it from that 95% so what I do now, I've, I've sort of, I'm still working on it. It's still very much work in progress, but and it'll always be for the rest of, of our course, lives, yeah. I guess, right? Of course it will. So when I get those moments, I, 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 I do react sometimes, but then I catch myself and think, okay, evaluate. So start to rise up, get to the surface, get to the surface, come up out to that ninety-five percent, get to the surface of the water, evaluate what's going on. Know that they're not doing that to you personally. They've got no personal vendetta. They don't know who you are. Why would they have a personal vendetta? True. Then you start to evaluate at a conscious level and you can respond appropriately. And that's the difference that makes the difference. Because what I see, a lot of people get wound up, especially in this area, on bad service. Mm. They lose it when they get bad mm. service. And I, to me, because mm. I'm in the customer service business, I'm like, mm. hang on, that guy hasn't been trained. He doesn't mm. know. There's no. no point taking out on no. him. And it's not personal. It just hasn't had... And also, the guy's on peanut money. Yes? What do you expect? Exactly, yeah. Mm. When you ask people why they're complaining, and they say bad service, so what specifically about the service is bad? Most of the time, they would probably not be able to answer. I had, in these trainings that I was um, doing this week, one of the, there was a new venue in Abu Dhabi, they'd moved, and this was a new venue, so it was the first delivery in this hotel. So the, the head of the training and development for this organization came in literally about an hour before we finished the session. And he's a lovely guy, I've got on well with him for a number of years, and 
it just said, as you walk through the door, everything okay? And one of the girls who was very, very forward in-, in Vocal. Very vocal, very yes. forward in how she would communicate. She said, I've got a problem with the buffet. And we were doing problem solving. And he said, well, no, 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 it's okay because you know, you've, you've got an online evaluation, we can deal with that later, I don't, I don't want to detract from the program. And I said, Ashley, Mohammed, I think that's a great opportunity yeah. because we're dealing with problem solving. So I said, Hind, what is the problem that you have with the buffet? And she was giving me all of the, the different the, things, the, yeah, the symptoms. The issues, yeah, exactly. I said, I, I, what's the problem? I'm not hearing what the problem is. And she da 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 da. I said, but do you not understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm looking to find out what the problem is. Did you have anything to do with the buffet? Did you engage in the buffet? Yeah. So what did you eat? Did it make you ill? No. So what is the problem with the buffet? And it, over a period of time, I said, use the model that we've been going through. Define to me what the problem is. Give me a statement of what the problem is with the buffet. And it came down to it, it didn't meet her personal preference. Wow. I said, so wow. you don't have a problem with the buffet, it just doesn't meet your palate. Yes, yes, wow. Does that mean to say there's a problem with the buffet? Yes, I said, no, I have to disagree. Does the buffet meet the just requirements? Just because it doesn't fit your yeah. requirement doesn't mean there's a problem with it. So when somebody complains about customer service, mm -hmm. they're not getting the right customer service, what are your expectations of my customer service that I should be providing you? That we fail. Yeah, and where am I falling down? Mm -hmm. Where are those gaps occurring? So did she end up hating you forever? I gave her a really hard time. Uh, and, I, and I said, look, for the last three days, I know I've given you all a hard mm -hmm. time, but I hope you respect me for it. Because otherwise, otherwise, what's the point of you being here? What's the point of me being here? So she put the knife down. And then <laughs> she brought muffins in on the last day. <laughs> yeah. she, she bakes muffins on the night yeah, yeah. before the last day. Probably so spit in it. Probably, but they tasted yeah. okay. <laughs> they were nice well baked. Spit, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, I interrupted you. You were telling us about the Alpha Group. Yes. So the Alpha Group is a, is a body that allows me, as an individual, to connect with business owners where I can get business owners in a room, around the same table, not having any direct competition. It's not about networking, is it? It's not about networking. It's, it's about, about peer group. Right? It's about brain working. Okay. It's about a peer group of business owners who come together to mastermind, to, to raise their issues that they're facing within their business, and using the business minds of the other people in the room to help resolve some of those issues. How do you make sure that those individuals in the group are committed? Committed to helping, committed to giving, committed to the cause, committed to coming? Because it, it, I guess it's a higher level, but it's like multi-level marketing, right? Because you've got to keep the team motivated at all times. You have. Because like everything, it, it can fizzle out. It can. It's not a registration process to become a member. It's an application process. And part of that application process is that you are invited to apply once we've gone through and had a conversation. So if... As we, we did. As we did. So as we get into that... So you were filtering me are you actually going through the process of whether I choose, but I felt it was just a conversation? Yes. Mm. Oh, it, naughty man. <laughs> but it, it, the conversation is not, it's not sinister. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's not uh, interview. It's not interview, mm. but it's just listening to that person mm. and you are all about giving. Yes. And, and you said to me, I, I'm not too bothered about taking anything away, but I want to be able to give back. Sure. That's the mindset we're looking for. If everyone comes to the table with that giving mindset, abundance, they would naturally take stuff away as well. Do you find that the peer group become friends? Yes, yes. Interesting. And, and you'll find that as, as the board grows, you know, there are people that are getting a lot of traction already, and they're getting a lot of 
um, responses positively in their business already. And there are you can see some of those um, relationships starting to form. Because you meet once a month, but the communication goes on in between yeah, the month. Yeah. It does. And that's where the Alpha Group sort of has that distinct difference between other groups that offer peer-to-peer. So where are you going with the Alpha Group? Because you've been doing it for a short period of time. You've got one group, chapter... What, is it called a group? It's, it's, it's called an alpha group, group board, group. yes. But a board? Yeah. So, uh, do you have a vision of having number of boards, number of groups? I, I would like, my, my vision at the moment is to get three boards going. Okay. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of work involved in making those happen. Yes. So if I could actually have three boards of 10 people, so I'm making a difference on the boards of 30 people, how many lives am I helping to impact through the number of employees and the families? That's, you know... That well, I, I've worked out, we actually have five, through our work here in my company, we affect over 500 people. Yeah. Directly, through salaries. Mm. Amazing. It is amazing. These are children, yeah. women that we don't know, people's mm. lives all over the world. It's very powerful. Literally in Africa, in Southeast Asia, Central Asia. It's amazing. Amazing. Europe. Yeah. So that's what, that's, that's what the Alpha Group provides me, a platform to help people and scale the number of people I can actually impact without even knowing them directly. And they can still, the individuals in the group can be themselves. They don't have to fit within a criteria. They don't, they don't get medals and badges and bring a guest in. There's no pressure, no nothing. No, no. The only thing is you're conscious helping each other out, yeah. caring for the member in the group. Absolutely. So we start with a we start with a recap on what somebody took away from the mastermind in the previous board and how they've applied that in the business. So they have to be a little bit accountable. They have to be to the group. That's, that's the where the alpha group is, is the differentiator. Accountability. The accountability. So what you commit to taking away in this board, you, you, you agree to start implementing that from this afternoon. You're leaving the board at lunchtime. You're going to start applying this in your business this afternoon. Amazing. And you've got accountability partners that will hold you to that account and those actions across the whole month. So when you come back, you've committed to your board of members that you'll come back and you'll share what you've, you've agreed to take away. Even if you did it and it didn't work out, share it with the group. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what, what could I do differently? Mm -hmm. and, and this is where the promise of growing the value of your business, at least doubling it within two to three years, because that accountability of taking it from the board so it's not just you know, getting together for a couple of hours once a month. You're actually working on your business. You're investing time in yourself, yes. on your business. I noticed that there's, um, personally speaking, in the group there's uh, several people that I know their businesses, mm -hmm. right? And in previous to even getting to know that they're in the alpha group, I felt I could really help them out with creativity and mm. marketing and stuff. Mm -hmm. Is this something that I should not do in the group because I'm that enthusiastic and I want to help? Or, are you with me? And they, they've never met me before. I join, and it's like this guy going, hey, I've got an idea, and you can mm. do this, you can do that. Mm. Do they think, what the hell is this guy on? Uh, or do you suggest that we should hold back and build relationships? And what do you think? That, that's not what the Alpha Group sets out to achieve. Mm -hmm. However, it, it will come. That's my character. I'm yep. very enthusiastic. I'm just jumping in and help people. I, want, I, you know, I, I can see that happening in the breaks, but yes. when we, we're quite structured i'll say quite we're very structured actually okay, so so we start with the workbooks we'll be all working on a fast growth strategy okay. when we when we go into the board first thing in the morning we'll then break have a, a coffee 15 minutes and then get back and then we'll do a mastermind so if somebody comes to the board and presents their mastermind so they have an issue that they're facing within their business and it's causing them sleepless nights 
let's face it, business owners have that, right? All the time. <laughs> so they come and they have the, 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 the awareness that they can share that within a, a safe environment. The, the board members then will ask them questions to, to get deeper clarity around what they believe that issue to be. And then they will present... Collectively. Yes. Uh-huh. And you know what? Sometimes that in itself, just having a room full of people asking you questions around your issue is enough to create a shift. these are all leaders, right? Yes. Oh, my God. And Quite intimidating, really. It is, it, it's because very Because my tough. peer group is me. Yeah. Friends, none. No. Acquaintances, many. Mm. Right? To be in a room full of similar-minded people with the same problems, yeah. same challenges, or they've faced them before. It's really quite intimidating. But where that mindset comes in of wanting to give, you know that the intent is always good. positive. It's always good. Yeah. Wow. And then if the questioning alone is not enough to sort of steer you into the right path, what the board would then present as possible solutions is just mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. So if somebody comes with a marketing or sales query, I know that you would, you'd be yeah. like, like a machine gun. Yes. You know, coming up but with that not necessarily in every, every meeting. No. It's within a structure, the parameters of the business. Yeah. But if you have a chat over the coffee and somebody Absolutely. asks because they yeah. think that's your expertise, then yes. you're willing to do so. Indeed. Because okay. the last thing I want to do in the first meeting, I've said to me, what? Step on toes. No, no, I don't think it would be. I don't think that would be the case at all. And let's face it: if anyone can get any tips or insights around sales and marketing that's going to enhance their business, I'm sure they're going to receive that widely and open sure. with open arms. Sure. But um, yeah, the Alpha Group is an amazing concept and allowing us to do that. And we are the Alpha Group is just under 10 years old now and we've got a footprint in 24 countries i'm actually very impressed by it and it's not an advertising because i've actually joined decided to join and i'm looking forward to our first meeting what i liked is the is the is the napoleon hill mm. peer group yes you know the the, the was it the firestone was it firestone edison and ford yes they all so they, they were the same peer group they went yeah. together they meditated together and no coincidence they all became billionaires yes yeah right and yeah. that's really powerful yeah really really yeah. powerful. from think and grow rich exactly, mm. exactly. And, and again if you think about that book and if your viewers and listeners have not read that book it's, it's probably one of the best reads you've ever invest your time the, the, in yes it's the first book you got to read if you're into personal development yeah and it just but when I read that book, I, so many things fell into place for me that I'd been doing without realizing it. Yes. And you know, just if you don't have that peer group and you, you sort of create a peer group in your mind, that whole mastermind, and Absolutely. you ask your visionary peer. They have the answers. They have the answers. But when you have a room full of people that have those answers, you know, by the tens of potential solutions, it's, I've never left a board yet without my hair, my, my hair tingling. You know, we just... Did you have to bring hair into this subject? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Please. <laughs> hair is, tends to be a very uh, sensitive subject to me. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. The hair, the hair on, the ba- on your back. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's right. But it is, it's, it's, it's that, you know, it's that intense in terms of the, the wow factor. Every, do you get board. to meet, is, is there like, um, I know there's different boards and different mm. meetings happening. Do you get to meet the other people on the different boards in different cities or no? You don't? Yes, you yes. Do. Uh, Layla, who contacted me first. Yeah. Layla is uh, up in Abu Dhabi. Layla Adbi, uh, a lovely lady. She's running her own board in Abu Dhabi, and I was at her board last week. And uh, we've, had, we've launched two more boards this week in nice. Dubai. So you're willing? You're free to travel. You're free to free to travel. We provide that again. So the other boards opening in Dubai. Yes. Wow. 
we, we have that uh, abundance mindset. So the regional directors, you know, we are looking to help as many business owners as we can. So the more boards we can create, the more we are in tar on target to help the Alpha Group do in their do, quest. Do you do like educational seminars? Or do they all get together and somebody does a talk on certain things and like personal development? Have we done them as yet? No. It's are too we early? I think now is probably the right time to start thinking about those. Once I think we get the summer rush over and we get to the back end of August and September starts creeping in, I'm going to look to do some more of those because I think getting people interested by showing what they can achieve as, yes. as being part of, a, of such a board, I think it's is going to be very powerful. Well, we've got to have about, I think, uh, over 50,000 viewers and listeners. So I would love you to tell the audience how, if they're interested, they can get hold of yourself or the Alpha Group or yourself in regards to any form of consulting, uh, personal analysis, leadership, how can they get hold of you now? Contact me via email, I think it's probably the and best. And your email addresses, yeah. we're going to have a text at the bottom yeah. of the end of this conversation, but please enlighten us. It's darren at uniqueconsulting.com. Unique spelled? Y-O-U-N-I-Q-U-E consulting.com. So Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N at uniqueconsulting.com or, or just go to uniqueconsulting.com on the website and just message, message me from there. I'm on LinkedIn as well, pretty active on LinkedIn. You're, yeah. I think, more active on LinkedIn than I am. Well, the thing is I have a team who manages it, so they're very active. But the mm. problem is when I actually look at some of the answers they write, I'm like, I never talk like that. No. So no. I just sometimes think, I'm very courteous, no matter how busy I am. Yes. And if somebody's saying, I own a digital company, Mm -hmm. And I'm not joking, 80% of the emails I get is sending me digital services. Mm. And my staff ignore it or delete it. But I always reply. Yeah. I say, if you really want my attention, read my profile. Yes, I know. Don't just mass mm. email me. Hey, do you want a better website? Yeah. If you actually looked at my profile, you see that I have a website company. Mm. It really frustrates me that companies have invested in these people to mass email crap to them. Yeah. And to them, it's just a volume game. It's just it numbers. Is. It is just machine numbers. gun, and hopefully one hits. Yeah. How sad is that? Mm. And I see that as a prospect that for me to actually go to them and say, "Hey, do you know your salespeople are doing this? Mm. I'm too busy now." But before, that's how I made my money. Mm. <laughs> I see somebody tripping, I'll go and say, "Hey, you got a pain, and I've got the aspirin." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that fix, was my twenty-second pitch, elevator fix, pitch. Fix the pain. Yeah. They asked me, "What do you do?" I said, "I sell aspirin." Mm. Yeah, so what do you mean? I said, well, I'll find your headache and I'll fix it. <laughs> yeah. So it's an absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the last two it's hours. Been, is it, has it been two hours? It hasn't over felt two like hours, two hours. Over well. two hours. I would love to have you on board again, maybe in to. a few months, because we've had the alpha board on the go, and I mm. want to talk about and share with the audience my successes. And um, I'd love to get your feedback from this and uh, grow this together if that's possible. I'd, I'd love to, thank you for the opportunity. It's been great to come and just have a chat with you and as I said, it doesn't feel like anywhere near two hours. Yeah, so. I really enjoyed it. It's called a fireside chat, so hopefully yeah. you felt that way. But you know, more than anything else, I respect you so much because of the current position you're in and, and I know you've got a lot of other priorities and you made time to come here. I really respect you, I appreciate you and I thank God that you're in my life right now. Likewise, I, I feel the same, so thank you. I, I, I truly believe that you know, sometimes people are meant to come into your life at certain yes. times, and when we met, I think that was the right time. I think we're going to be very powerful together. I really can't wait to work with We've you. We've both been in Dubai for a number of years. Why have we not met before? Yes. I think now is the right time. It is, it really is. Mm. Absolute pleasure. Darius, thanks so much. Thank it's you been so a real pleasure. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, thank you for your yeah, time yeah, as well. Thank you so much. God bless. Thank you.